everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. This is number 79. Uh, we've been, for the last few weeks, talking about the various films to be nominated for Oscars this year. Uh, as of the recording, the Oscars have not happened yet, but uh, some of these films are probably going to go on and actually win them, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but today, we're going to return to our Best pic uh, best of Pictures series with, the, with a discussion of the winner of Best Picture of 1969, which is Midnight Cowboy, directed by John Schlesinger, um, written by Waldo Salt, which is a fun name, and one that I have to assume is fake, uh, based on the novel by James Leo Hurley. Now... I'm, look, I say we, and it's not just me being clever, and I'm all I'm here all alone. I there is somebody here with me. It's my co-host Josh Long. Josh. Oh yeah, it is me, isn't it? How you doing? Uh, good. good. It's hard to know. I can't keep all my co-hosts straight anymore. It's it's very confusing, and we all do look identical. So there's that. It is strange. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It appear it appear it appears that I have a certain flavor of co-host that mm -hmm. I that I favor. Yeah. Um. So. We're going to talk about Midnight Cowboy, a film that I finished watching about two hours ago. <laughs> uh, it was my first time seeing it ever. When's the last time you saw it? I finished watching it about 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> but it took you like three years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just go five minutes a day, roughly. And I was like, nah, that's enough for now. Yeah. Uh, so, have you only seen it the once? Yeah. Okay. So, going into... Midnight Cowboy, I had heard a lot of things. I had heard that it's, you know, I, I know some people who said it was like really good and really powerful and, and all that. Other people said it's overrated and a little bit, and not totally unlike Easy Rider, kind of a product of its time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went in with uh, not super high expectations. And I think that was probably a good thing because it, it exceeded my expectations on, on Letterboxd, which apparently is now the, the gold standard of ratings. <laughs> um, so on the five, the five stars of Letterboxd, I gave it three and a half mm -hmm. uh, because it is, yes, some of, the, some of the techniques are very 1960s, but they don't necessarily seem excessive, especially when we are... Uh, dealing with flashbacks and fantasy sequences. Um, the flashbacks to the character Joe Buck, uh, the flashbacks to his past are fascinating to me, and I think it's a, a really interesting idea to do it that way. I don't totally know what his life was before he decided to come to New York. It appears that he lives with his grandmother, that he was very sexually active and perhaps a little bit sexualized by his own family, and so he clearly... There's a line that he says where he says, the only thing that I'm good at, the only thing I'm good for is, you know, lovemaking and such. And so when you see his past, just in flashes and little random lines of dialogue, it's not spelled out for you, but it's powerful enough that you, you get a pretty good sense of just how broken this guy's childhood was. Mm -hmm. And that, wor that word broken is what I come away from when I think of Midnight Cowboy. It is such, there are so many scenes of tremendous sadness yeah, um, and loneliness on the part of basically everybody. Yeah, kind of everybody's miserable in the yeah. film. I can't think of anyone who comes out being like, oh, I'm pretty happy. I'm everybody's pretty well. miserable at me. <laughs> uh, and so, and that I think is, is, I don't know, I really, I like that. I mean, I don't like it, obviously, but I think it's a very strong choice that, you know, it's 1969, so uh, there's a, there's a, a a lot of like uh, 
uh, gay material in this because you know Joe Buck in in New York is trying to make a living as a, as a, his word is a hustler, but the you know hustler could mean any number of things in in movie terms. So I will use the term gigolo, um, which in his mind it's just like all right, w- rich socialite women. The yeah. cold hard reality is it's it tends to be lonely men uh, mm-hmm. in in that world. And if only he'd seen Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, if he only, might have known. If only I do connect these two those two <laughs> movies, uh, and so and those scenes are so so sad. You know, you get like these older guys who just clearly are probably married clearly hate themselves there's mm-hmm. no question about it you get a scene with a young student played by bob balaban yeah that is so effective and so sad there's a moment when he's about so he and and joe buck he's he's uh quote unquote paid for joe buck's uh services and before they actually engage in anything they're sitting next to each other like in a movie theater and bob balaban's character before he does anything he's kind of awkwardly puts his arm around him and just kind of leans his head on his shoulder. And it's just a, a moment of ten, of tenderness before it moves into anything like erotic. It's a moment of just, I don't know, feeling like, like he belongs or, or feeling like he's close to somebody. Those touches, which I think are probably could be attributed to the acting choices of the people involved. Those touches are what make midnight cowboy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they work really well and it really just shows you, this undercurrent of of just sadness, loneliness, brokenness, and and a desire for relationship with other people. And well, if I can't get that, I guess I'll try this other thing. Um, and I wonder. So you haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm sorry for doing most of the talking. I did just see it, so all this stuff has been kind of in my in my in my mind, and it's been it's echoing in my mind. Um, that's, a, that's from the song. It's, <laughs> listeners, if you've seen the film, you, you know the song I'm talking about. Um, and so I had this thought. You and I are, are one thing that we find fascinating is 60s culture and maybe even 70s culture a little bit as it pertains to concepts of liberation, concepts of, hey, just, you know, uh, all these, th- all these, uh, these restrained. Uh, moralistic as opposed to just moral, all these ways of approaching sex and, and yourselves and relationships and that sort of thing. We're going to do away with that because it's just so constraining. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I are fascinated at the, we, we've talked in the past about the positives and negatives of that. And I get the feeling that Midnight Cowboy, we are seeing a, a bunch of people that are kind of striving not not everybody but a, a, a lot of them are striving to figure out exactly what that liberation means and they might actually be grappling with the uh c- the seedy underbelly and the sad lonely underbelly of that kind of that kind the the, the consequences of that lifestyle or that philo- that overall cultural philosophy mm-hmm. um to the point that you know Joe has very clear ideas of what sex is and and he comes to the big city where people are probably much more freewheeling about that kind of thing than his small Texas town. Yeah. Uh, thinking it's going to be one way and it is absolutely not that way. Yeah. Did you get that at all when you first saw it? Um, I think so. Like I remember it being very like 
depressing and that no one comes out happy. And I mean, the ending is, yeah, is pretty bleak, but, uh, which, which Dustin Hoffman bus ending <laughs> I <know>. is more <laughs> bleak. Someone just brought that up recently. And I was like, those movies came out two years apart from yeah. each other. Like that's, I wonder what he was thinking as he was filming that one. Um, but, uh, I was going to ask, having seen it more recently, do you feel like the, cause I feel like the, the cultural, uh, I guess the cultural ideology in the sixties there was that, um, and, and that still, uh, persists a little bit today, mm-hmm. I think is that society, uh, inhibits people and keeps them from being able to fully express themselves, whether that be sexually or, or maybe sexual identity, something like that. Um, so do you, do you feel like this film is at all placing, it is saying that the reason these people are sad is because society won't let them be who they want to be. I don't remember. If no, that, I okay. don't think it's that mm-hmm. in, in many cases, the way that the people that are probably the most quote unquote successful in living out that philosophy are the wealthy socialites. Um, the people that if you, if you'll pardon me, can afford to live that way. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I don't afford either mentally or, or literally financially. Um, everybody else, uh, whether it be Joe's clients or Ratso or basically anybody they come in contact with, I don't know, it, they seem to want to aspire to this idea, but their lifestyle just doesn't allow it. I mean, there's there are moments when Ratso is talking to Joe and says like, hey, by the way, you're starting to smell. You're not going to be able to do what you're doing if you smell. Yeah. And I don't know, it just seems like this this idea, you know, we, we there's, there's a lot of discussion these days. This is going to sound like a weird comparison to make. There's a lot of discussion these days about, you know, the haves and have-nots, the 1%, the 99%. Right. And a lot of people talk about the corrupt idea of the American dream, like the bootstraps thing. Like, well, if you just pull yourself up, you can be where I am. (laughs) Um, And then the reason that people say that that is ridiculous is that some people have certain privileges, some people have certain opportunities that not everybody has. Um, And in that – and so – uh, while I personally don't agree with that as it as it pertains to the conversation that people are having now about status, uh, financial status, and that sort of thing, that is a thing that I had thought of when it comes to certain sexual uh, mores that or or ideas being shattered in the 1960s. As I was watching Midnight Cowboy, that these guys, all these people, aspire for the to this freewheeling way of living, but they're going to need better clothes. They're going to need to smell better. <laughs> they're going to need an actual apartment instead of squatting in a condemned building. They're going to need all of these things to reach the level of, you know, uh, if you'll pardon me, freedom. And I'm, I'm not sure if I use the word, but uh, that the, the level of freedom and liberation that everybody, that the really hip people in culture say will lead to their happiness. <laughs> and so, and then when they actually do get to that level, when they do get invited to that very strange and swanky party, it's nothing but judgment and it's nothing but people that are disaffected and are ab- and it's clear that they are they're not the people we are supposed to like. We're supposed to sympathize with Ratso, we're supposed to sympathize with Joe. All those other people are just so fascinated by each other, by their own sexuality and I think condescendingly so by these two guys 
that um, I think we are not supposed to look at them or any aspect of their philosophy in a positive way. <laughs> and when and when we see Joe towards the end throw away his cowboy stuff so that he can better take care of his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people have suggested that maybe the two are, are attracted to each other. I think that there's there's a possibility of that, um, or that maybe Joe is is gay. It's all of the, all of that is is possible. But I think more than anything, you just have two characters that are very lonely. They feel like nobody understands them, and then they find another misfit that they can connect with. And once they do, and once Ratso requires more of Joe than just a casual friendship, you know, it requires financial sacrifice and emotional sacrifice mm-hmm. um joe th- buys tickets to florida throws out his own clothes buys t- buys clothes for both of them and then of course it winds up to be uh, to be too late but i don't know it's uh that was this is a very long answer i genuinely do not think that the film is a hundred percent on board with the sexual revolution of the 1960s hmm. okay that's i don't know that's i might be wrong uh if i lived in the time uh, I might, uh, I might think that this is a very, this is, I do, I'm sorry, hang on, I'm having a thought. I re, I do relate this a lot to Easy Rider now that I think about it. I think this mm. film works better than Easy Rider. I do too, I'm but, not a fan of Easy Rider. But think of both movies. It's one guy, one, you know, these guys are li- uh, in Easy Rider, they're like, they're doing drugs, they're out on the open road, living life the way the 60s say they should live life. And what happens? They blew it. They discovered that, oh, shoot, mere hedonism was not the idea here, and yet that is how we're executing it. Mm-hmm. And I got, I get that same vibe. Both films, I think, look critically at the way these, these philosophies are implemented to such a degree that maybe they're being critical of the philosophies themselves. I might be, Maybe. I might I, be overreaching, but I feel like the way, not to go on Easy Rider too much, but I feel like the way Easy Rider ends doesn't feel like that to me because that feels kind of like this is the like the culture we live in is full of stupid people who don't understand the people who just want to live and exist and you know it does have plenty of of condemnation for like the rednecks and stuff but when the care when captain america is assessing his own behavior and dennis hopper's behavior he says we blew it and while them blowing it doesn't result in anybody dying, whereas these other people being so oppressive, it does. Um, I do think there's a little bit of, at the very least, reflection on behavior hmm. and the way it was implemented. And so I feel like both movies are are very are dark and depressing. And at the very least, I, I don't think they embrace the philosophy a hundred percent with midnight cowboy, probably going further and just talking about yeah. how destructive it can be. Yeah. Um, it's weird because I feel like in, at the same time, it, it kind of condemns that freewheeling attitude towards sexuality, but also mm-hmm. in, it's also somewhat on board with the idea of the sexual revolution in that it uh, it goes further in terms of the the film's content than a lot of sure. films had at the time. Sure. So that's kind of a weird balance, I guess, that it strikes between uh, outright condem- condemnation of these sexual attitudes and <laughs> not to put it in like, uh, stupid terms, but like the, Hey man, it's okay. You can, 
this, it's okay to say show this sort of thing. Let's all get used to it. Let's get comfortable with our bodies. And yet, as I'm watching it, and it, I see those scenes, and maybe it's different at the maybe it was different at the time. None of those scenes are titillating. No, I don't think so either. And that no. that I think is the thing that it's hard to it's hard for us to see now. Yeah, because. Like I watched Ichimama Tambien the other night. That yeah, had you not seen that before? No, that was the first time I'd seen okay, it. Okay, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I was going to ask you, but that's got there's like, a lot in there. Yes, and granted, that one was rated NC seventeen, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, same kind of deal. But Midnight Cowboy is tame, tame on you know, sure, absolutely, compared to something like that. So, so, so I think you, it's hard for us to look at and see and see whether or not, or I, I guess how quote unquote scandalous it was. Yeah. Um, and do you think that people at the time, just the fact of seeing this type of nudity and this type of content, just the fact of seeing it was in itself titillating, even if the execution, purposely or not, is not titillating? It may or may not have been titillating, but I think it may have been shocking in its frankness, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Because I feel like say contrasted to something that was close to the time, something like last tango in Paris. Sure. That's a movie that I feel it's, it's kind of trying to push it a little bit saying mm-hmm. like, what do you think of this? Um, whereas I don't really feel like midnight cowboy is doing that, but it did still uh, like to openly talk about things like strange men meeting in a movie theater to right. engage in sexual activity. That was something that in 1969, yeah. everyone knew was happening, but people yeah. in the mainstream wouldn't want to think about or want to talk about. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, our friend Dan actually told me about, um, the, the X rating that midnight cowboy has and that it actually was not going to be rated X, but, the filmmakers or maybe the studio actually pushed for it to be rated X instead of mm-hmm. R because there's something enticing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it probably, and it got more response from the audience as a result of that X rating. And so when you think about it, if you took, if you take that mentality and then take the mentality you're talking about, which is f- trying to exploit uh, new expectations of what, is appropriate and not appropriate in a film. It's almost as though they're using these things to br- to pull people in, and maybe they're doing it solely so the film makes more money. But it could also be I'm pulling you in so that you can I'm pulling you in by one thing so that we can actually explore that instinct. Yeah, it could be. And if I, I mean, I'd like to think that that's the truth because I think that's interesting. I think that's a I like that impulse. Yeah. So it's it's a film that I really. Um, responded to one way or another um it left me with a lot of questions um but it also gave me a really strong sense of the world a really strong sense of the characters i think john Voigt does a great job he's a character that is he's an actor that as people know as he got older i did not care for a lot of his actorly instincts but as i go back and look at older things um i realize like he he did he did have a very specific on-screen presence that could be very genuine and very effective yeah it, Dustin, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in terms of the characters, uh, I feel like we can connect this a little bit to, because I think of them in the same way, the uh, the conversation we were having about Rocky as a character, mm-hmm. because he, I think we talked then about him being one of these characters that doesn't understand how incapable he is or how dumb he is or something yeah. like that. Like, he knows he's not, yeah. he doesn't think of himself as a genius or anything like that. But I think he, he doesn't quite understand, uh, 
himself maybe and how he he fits into the rest of his world and i definitely think that's the case with joe um maybe not quite to the same extent with ratso but yeah um like i think especially at the beginning of the film joe like thinks he can just go off to new york and become a successful male prostitute like he doesn't it seems like a rational person would say to him like what that doesn't make any sense yeah and yet he forges on to do that and i'm I think that's an interesting type of character and a very sad one, which fits with yeah. this, the the tone of the film, obviously. Yeah. And the character Ratso, I, I think he is streetwise to a point. He's, he, he has a very specific type of, of knowledge and skill set that will allow him to keep his head only slightly above water. And when you realize that he is living, that he's squatting in a, in a condemned building, maybe an argument could be made that he is not mm. keeping his head above water. But, um, that that performance is interesting. I'll say that. Um, and I it, at first it took me a moment to get used to it because um, Dustin Hoffman. It's it, there's a lot of ticks, a lot of mannerisms, and yeah. a very specific voice that he is doing. Yeah. And it takes takes me a minute to get used to it, but then I realized that, like there there are people like that, and Dustin Hoffman actually keeps it consistent enough that I got used to it. And at no point and. and and I just felt like I was watching the character rather than watching Dustin Hoffman put on a character. Yeah. For the first couple minutes, that's what I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, once I think once we start seeing the actual emotions come through mm-hmm. and that his mannerisms are not overshadowing the real feelings, I think that's when I got more on board with the character. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I'll say this. Uh, when I saw... The, I think it's 1996 adaptation of American Buffalo. I have to assume, not that the characters, not that the performance is that similar, but I have to assume that Dustin Hoffman was cast as Teach based on his, based on Ratso. I feel like the characters are so similar. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed the movie in general. Um, Let's go ahead and look at the other best picture nominees for 1969. Uh, You have Anne of a Thousand Days. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Hello Dolly, and Z. I have seen none of them. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't even seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's on my list there. The only one I haven't seen is Anne of a Thousand Days, which I assume is about the, uh, whatever, queen. She was queen for like a thousand days. Yeah. Um, Henry Henry VIII's uh, wife, right? Yeah. At some point. One of I his think many. so. Yeah. Weren't there two Anne's? I don't remember. Um but yeah, I've seen all the... Well, is is Z the, like, Costa Gravas political film? Yeah. Is that the... Okay. Yeah. Is it Garvis, Costa Gravas, or Costa Gravas? I don't remember. I don't remember. I always thought it was Gravis, but I might be wrong. I think that's right. I think Costa Gravas is right. Um, uh, yeah, the, that that makes me think, like, hmm, that's a... None of these movies are movies that I love. Like, there's a lot of things I like about Midnight Cowboy, but I wouldn't say it's a movie that I love. Uh, I enjoy Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid a lot. Of the five nominees, that might be my favorite. Uh, Hello, Dolly's, Dolly's fine, but I'm not a big musical person, so yeah. I might be the wrong person to ask about that. Z, I didn't particularly like. It was a little heavy-handed. Yeah, I've heard that. I still want to see it. I've heard good things It's interesting. It, like, it's it's very kinetic. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah, it's, I have nothing to say about any of these, um, <laughs> except that just from a from a cultural standpoint... People know of of Hello Dolly, and then a, a, a good number of the of sequences and 
character type, uh, character aspects of Midnight Cowboy have seeped into larger culture. Like it is not a film that has gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is the one that is remembered the most. Probably, yeah. Um, and I think that's the. I was going to say that's the biggest crowd pleaser of all of these. I think Hello Dolly is also a crowd pleaser to a different that they're just aimed at entirely different different crowds. Absolutely. Um, so. Yeah, so you're the one that has seen all uh, most of them uh, more than I would have expected, honestly. Uh, what, what are you good with of these four uh, of these five? Pardon me. Uh, are you good with Midnight Cowboy winning? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> I feel like this would be a year that I'm like, I don't care that much. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been long enough that I've since I've seen it that I'm. I don't know if I could speak to the directing so much. If I could say that I like that, that it's doing something more interesting than say Butch Casting and Sundance kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I I don't know. Not to say that I hate to say that because a movie is a crowd pleaser or appeals to a more common audience that it's a lesser movie. Um, I think sometimes that is the case because it can just appeal to the lowest common denominator in people. Um, I don't think that's the case with Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. I think that's a, just a, I think it's a good movie and it's bolstered by two of the greatest actors of yeah. that time period. Um, and it's worth noting the, uh, same director as another crowd pleasing movie that did win, that did win best picture, which was the sting, mm-hmm. which is a film that I love yeah. and you at the very least really like, yeah. and that we didn't have a problem winning best picture in 1973. Yeah. So a crowd pleader apparently George Roy Hill, that's the movie. Those are the movies he makes and he makes them very well. Yeah. Um, you know, so you could do worse than that, but they're not going to be remarkably, uh, impactful emotionally. Right. Or at least that's what I've heard. I have not seen. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. So looking at, uh, other notable 1969 releases, you know, it's interesting when you, when you go through this, uh, list, the, a lot of these are not necessarily iconic, but a lot of these are very, 1960s types of films. They you've got are, Easy yeah. Rider in there. You've got um, Medium Cool. Yeah. Putney Swope. Uh, there, there's, it's a, an interesting collection. And then in there, you also have, you know, you've got Hello Dolly. You've got True Grit. Yeah. You've got Goodbye Mr. Chips. Have, have you seen They Shoot Horses, don't they? I, I, I have not. I don't even know what that's about. I've heard good things about it, and yet yeah. I, know, I don't know what it's about. I guess, you know what, that'll be a homework assignment. You and I should watch They Shoot Horses, don't they? Yeah, I'm... I'm like um, to see it. It's one of those that I hear the name all the time. Well, it's an odd name, so it sticks yes, out, yes. but I know nothing about it. Um, so looking at these now, I own Army of Shadows, but I have not yet watched it. Um, oh, and then Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is also like a very of the time type of film. Um, so looking at these, I mean, The Wild Bunch came out this year. Yeah. Which is the best movie of the year. Yeah. I Admittedly, so. I haven't seen a lot of these, but obviously The Wild Bunch is the best movie of the year. I think so too. Right. Yeah. How could it not be? It's the wild bunch. <laughs> it's the best you it's the best movie of most years, I would say. Yeah. But maybe I'm overstating. Um I don't know if I love it that much, but You're incorrect. You need to watch it again because <laughs> it's the wild bunch. Well, movie. it is You owe it to the wild bunch. It is a very good movie and I think it's one of the movies where you're seeing uh uh Peck and Pa 
work the best. Yeah. Like what he does is working the best, I think in this movie, because some of, some of his other ones get a little pulpy and like, I enjoy sure. bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, but I do like that movie. It's not like a masterpiece or anything like that. Well, then there's straw dogs, which is, I love straw special. dogs. Yeah. I think that might be my favorite of his films, but I think, um, I think I like the, uh, the ensemble nature of the wild bunch yeah. and just, and how, and how strong that ensemble is. Right. And he's kind of doing a, a the sort of thing that Tarantino is known for nowadays, which is take all these guys who are known for being these types. Yeah. Um, and then cast them as yeah. those types sort of, and then strip away any likability. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> that's more the, the peck and paw way than yeah. the, than the, uh, Tarantino way. But, um, casting them because of who they are and because of who well because of who they used to be yeah and i think that I, I always like it when a filmmaker makes a casting choice that says something you know like mm-hmm. just the nature of that character being played by this actor yeah. because we as people who ingest movies and who know a lot about about movies um will will have previous associations with them i think that's a i think that's always interesting it's like henry fonda being the villain in once upon a time in the west or yeah. something like that yeah or honestly uh, a recent example that i think is interesting casting is casting uh dicaprio and kate winslet in revolutionary road exactly same type of thing um and then this is the same year that uh, true grit came out a very different kind of western and one that i actually like quite a bit mm. and i think john wayne is wonderful and of course there's this it's so fascinating. There's the, there's a scene in Midnight Cowboy where they're taught where uh, Ratso is saying is saying that uh, Joe's cowboy thing is very gay, uh, <laughs> or at least that's how it's, how it's interpreted by a lot of people in New York. And if and he gets really defensive. He's like, "What about John Wayne? Are you saying he's gay?" Uh, <laughs> and it's just kind of funny that this would be the year that John Wayne would be both of those actors. <laughs> In a very John Wayne type of role, but also actually a very good role. Did you? You've seen? I've never seen the original. Oh my gosh, it's really it's the movie is fine, but his performance is really good, Mm -hmm. Um, and one that is at once extremely John Wayne while also kind of commenting on John Wayne. It's Hmm. it's it's a very special performance. Um, So yeah, looking at these, uh, I mean, I would I would say for me, the Wild Bunch obviously is is the film of the year, but I haven't seen a lot of the movies from 1969. So, so what do I know? You know? Yeah, I mean, of these other ones, granted, there's several that I haven't seen. Haven't seen They Shoot Horses, don't they yet? But uh, that's the one that sticks out to me the most. Army of Shadows is a great movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's definitely up there. That's that's not one I would see winning Best Picture just because. For a number of reasons. Yeah. yeah. That's um, Melville, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, obviously a lot of people love Easy Rider and I, I, I don't think it has the love that it did. I think a lot of people acknowledge the role that it played in culture at the time and mm-hmm. for a while after that. But I think so m- it has aged so poorly, yeah. almost as badly as the only film that I think might have aged worse is birth of a nation um, (laughs) for, uh, for maybe different reasons though. Uh, And so, yeah, so that one might be one of the most culturally significant, but yeah, it's, it's hard for me to say if this was a a solid year or not, because I've seen so few of them, but, uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so if somebody said they wanted to see midnight cowboy, what would you, how would you respond? Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's good. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, I saw it originally because it was on that, uh, AFI top 100 list. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of 
being like a completionist and stuff like that's you know it's that and it's an oscar winner yeah yeah that's that's the reason i saw it and that's i i always feel like when you see especially things like that like that won an award during that year that tells you something about the culture of that time absolutely everyone everyone felt or a majority of people in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences thought this was the best movie of the year. I think that tells you something about 1969. And what's um, so interesting is that if you look at the movies it's sandwiched in between, mm-hmm. Oliver and Patton, like such <laughs> standard best picture material. But like you, you see the Academy starting to change because in 67 you have In the Heat of the Night, which is a little bit more of the time. But then right before that you have Man for All Seasons. And then Sound of Music, and then yeah. My Fair Lady. We're we're entering the the decade of the musicals. More musicals yeah. won in the '60s than any other decade, and probably yeah. for the rest of time. I can't see there ever being another yeah, decade where so. there's that many. Um, yeah, and it's just, and we see the Oscars in transition, where mm-hmm. they're still they they still can't help but be themselves. Yeah. But then you move from Patton into the French Connection, which is its own kind of epic, but a very different type of epic. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is an interesting point because you're seeing American film change. And yeah. And then what we know about the 70s uh, and what that would be as as a filmmaking culture. Right. I'm not saying you point back to Midnight Cowboy, but you see that, oh, this is one of those movies, this and like Bonnie and Clyde and that sort of thing that kind of. And the success of them, yeah, uh, they were kind of watershed and, points, yeah. in that in the late sixties, yeah. I think I think people in the seventies could point back to these movies and Easy Rider and, and that sort yeah. of thing and say, "Hey, look, people want to see these movies. Critics like them, yeah. So just let me do what I want, you know. Yeah. Let me make Mean Streets or or whatever, right? And it was partially too because that idea of the art film suddenly started to be more of a thing in the in yeah. the in the U.S. It had already yeah. been in in Italy and in France and things like that, and then our filmmakers in the United States started to see these things and say, there's something more here and um, started to move away a little bit from the more, the more standard fare of, of uh, genre and melodrama and things like that. And um, I think for the most part, the, the film industry of the United States benefits for it. And you know, this, this speaks to something that we'll probably get into more as we go back further and further. Uh, Something that I've always loved about film is that, while certain aspects of it may have started in the U.S., um, as far as production and that sort of thing, um, it, it's ever like, so many countries contributed to it, and then you also have countries responding to what other countries are doing. Yeah. Like you have the U.S. responding to the French New Wave, but then the French New Wave responded to American crime films, mm-hmm. you know, which then, by the way, and westerns he- and westerns, yeah, and then. Uh, like crime films were heavily influenced by German expressionism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just fascinating. And and then that takes you all that those movements that I just talked about influencing uh, each other uh, get gets us back to the 30s from the from the 70s to the 30s. And then, of course, there's Italian neorealism and all these mm-hmm. other things. Um, it's just a, it's it's something that I find very invigorating is that I don't think for these reasons. I don't think any country could say we did it the best or, or this is more us than anybody else. Like Mm -hmm. in one way you could say with, you know, DW Griffith and stuff like that, that America really did a lot of wonderful things, but you also before that had George Melier after that you had German expressionism and, uh, the, the wonderful contributions of, of Eisenstein, Eisenstein and the Russians. And it's just, uh, to me, that's just fun. It's so much fun to see that and see, that more so than than uh, border, you know, this speaks to uh, 
you know, what we were talking about with uh, Grand Illusion. More so than borders, like there's, there's in some cases, there's a much more universal language uh, yeah. that can bind people together. And rather than feel uh, combative or competitive, it's more just like, have you seen what they're doing? Let's do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Without like without American without very mainstream American films, we wouldn't have Kurosawa. Like, yeah. isn't that amazing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, who then went on to make, uh, you know, he would do Seven Samurai, and then heavily influenced by a number of things, including Dashiell Hammett. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes Seven Samurai, influenced by American culture, and then we say. That's a good movie. We're going to make the Magnificent Seven. It's just yeah, it's, or uh, Hidden never, Fortress being uh, oh, an no influence for Star Wars. Yeah, which then was an influenced basically everything. <laughs> so um, anyway, okay, uh, that was a slight tangent, but it's one I, that I enjoy talking about, and we'll probably talk about it in the future as well. So I think that'll that'll have to be it. Um, now next week, I believe we will be talking about the film that will be winning Best Picture this year for this year for the year uh, 2015 uh d- predictions best picture predictions I, i'm gonna say spotlight <sighs> it's tough it it's, is tough it is tough it's a three-way it's a three-horse race mm-hmm. spotlight revenant and the big short and it's tough because movies don't win best picture and only best picture mm-hmm. they usually win at least two more yeah spotlight's gonna get original screenplay I can't think of much else that it would get aside from picture. Yeah. Revenant, however, could get a lot. It could. And then big short could get picture director and adapted screenplay, which incidentally is what midnight cowboy got. Yeah. Like maybe as long editing as, too. maybe editing that's, that's a possibility. Um, so it's, it'd be wonderful if they confounded all of our thoughts and went with, uh, Mad Max all the way, but I somehow <laughs> don't think that's going to happen. Um, so yeah, it's I I genuinely don't even know what prediction to make. I feel like I'm I feel like I'll say the big short. I feel like but oh, it's tough now that I say it cuz I feel like it'll be the big short if they want to go director. But director seems to be leaning towards Inuritu, so maybe they'll just go Revenant all the way down. Yeah, it's possible. Cuz that's going that's also going to win best actor. Yeah. And so, you but know what? And Birdman Last year, that throws that off. So there's so many factors that seem to negate all the other predictions. If Inuritu, I I think I said this last week, if Inuritu wins Best Director, he'll be the first one uh, to win it two years in a row since Joseph Mankiewicz uh, 65 years ago. Wow. And he would be the only the third director to do it. The other one being, of course, John Ford. So it's kind of strange to be thinking of the company that he would be in in that moment. So anyway, um, okay, we'll leave it there. So... I think I'll go ahead and say my official prediction is The Revenant. We'll see what happens. All right. So you got Spotlight. I, I got The Revenant. It'll obviously be the big short. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind People stop and stare I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going while the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going well, the weather suits my clothes
summer breeze And skipping over the ocean like a stone I'm going where the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going where the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean like a stone Everybody's talking at me Can't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind 